We judge other people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. So, oh, I intended to do that thing. I didn't do it because X, Y, or Z came up. Therefore, it's okay. But when we see them do the same thing, right, we judge them on did they do it or did they not do it? And so we're judging them based on their actions, but we're not holding ourselves to that same measuring stick, to that same standard. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am supremely glad that you're here. Hey, while you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask the usual three favors. Number one, please subscribe to the show. Two, please share the show with just one other person. And three, go to GerardTrainingSolutions.com and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I am glad to have Wayne Mullins with me. Wayne, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hey, Eric. Thank you so much. Well, I am a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and a leader and manager who's always trying to learn and grow. And the vehicle right now that most of my management and leadership is taking place through is my company called Ugly Mug Marketing. Okay. Well, we will dive into that for sure. I'm, I'm very curious about the name of the company. So we're going we're gonna to open that up a little bit. But our focus today is leaning into leadership with Wayne. And so I've got a few questions focused on that. So again, Wayne, thank you so much for being here. And I'm excited to, to talk. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, my career has me doing marketing, quote unquote, every single day. But really, my passion is leadership. My passion is helping other people develop themselves and become better versions, as cliche as it sounds, better versions of themselves. So I'm excited for this chat. All right, good deal. Well, my first question for you is how do you manage a team who is self accountable? and high-performing? And maybe if you can define self-accountable for us as you answer that question. Absolutely. So, you know, my leadership journey in its current iteration is about 15 years. So I've had Ugly Mug Marketing founded about 15 years ago. And the number of leadership and management lessons that I've learned over that 15-year journey and still learning today is just, I should probably write a book about it because you know, all of the classic mistakes that you would think that anyone with common sense wouldn't make, I've made those mistakes during this journey. You know, from hiring a really good friend to having to fire that really good friend when his wife was expecting with their first child, she didn't have a job, like all these horror stories that I've had to navigate through and learn. So my my leadership and management experience really comes from not just reading books and studying and trying to learn, but from the the scrapes and the bruises that I've learned along the way and the mistakes I've made. But to specifically answer your question, one of the big lessons I've learned is that it's impossible for us as leaders or managers to hold someone else accountable, right? You, you think about that. We're trying to force someone to live up to our expectation of them and if you're attempting to do that, I, you know the question I love asking people is, how is that actually working for you? And so I've learned over the years to flip that around the other way. What if instead I help train people, help teach people to hold themselves accountable and to help their peers hold themselves accountable as well? You know, I think so often 
in the leadership and management world today, we are so accustomed, particularly in American culture, of this idea of the top-down management, top-down leadership, where it's got to be forced, it's got to be implied from the top down. And I'm a huge believer in this idea of like servant leadership. And the further, quote-unquote, up you move in the organization, the lower you actually go. In other words, as you move up, that just means you have more people to serve. So I don't know if I directly answered the question, but that is that is kind of my journey on how I have arrived at some of these some of these ideas. Okay, well, I love the idea of servant leadership and totally buy into that. And by the way, I'm all about learning from your mistakes. So my favorite phrase is, wisdom is a matter of surviving your mistakes, therefore I am very wise. So I've made all those mistakes, I have been a complete bonehead in management, and learned enough from it that I was able to start my own company and write a book about it. So I think, I think we're in good company. Tell me more about this idea of self-accountability. Like I want to I want to double click into that. So when you when you say that that you can't hold other people accountable, what do you do instead? Sure. I th- I believe that, you know, there's two kind of opposing things here when it comes to leadership and management. On the one hand, we have alignment, and on the other hand, we have autonomy, and that's giving people the freedom to execute based on their role or their responsibilities. And what I see so often as when people step into management or into leadership for the first time, by default, they are typically leaning one direction. In other words, alignment, if you lean towards alignment by default, that typically means you're going to lean towards micromanagement. You're going to want to double check everything, triple check everything. You're going to want to overlook every action that they take. On the other hand, you have people who by default lean towards autonomy. In other words, they give autonomy and they, they step back and they kind of abdicate all the roles and all the responsibility to the people under them. And then when things don't go well, that is when they jump in and everything's chaotic, everything's fire. So I, I think that for leaders and managers, particularly those getting in, we have to remember that we have to learn to create a very clear vision for where we are attempting to go. Now, this could be company-wide, this could be department, or even down to the specific role. So when we get crystal clear about where we're attempting to go, why we're attempting to get there, and then how will I be measured in that role? When we get clear around those three things, that's all about alignment. The beautiful thing happens is that we are then able to allow those people to hold themselves accountable. But in order to paint that clear picture, in order for us to get and achieve that alignment, we as leaders, as managers, must get crystal clear on those things and communicate those things to the people in our care, right? To the people we are leading or managing. You know, I I hear lots of good things in, in what you just said here. For example, just really clear, concise goal setting for one thing. I'm also hearing echoes of Dan Pink's book, Drive, and, and the concepts of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, which I just love. So lots of good stuff in, in your answer there. My next question for you is, why is the most important person you need to manage yourself, and how do you do that? Mm. This, is, this is one of my favorite and least favorite topics of all. You know, I'll, I'll have this saying that, you know, when I'm working with a new leader, a new manager in our organization, one of the default problems that I see is that they believe the people under them should operate the same way they do, 
right? They believe that that person should execute, should do this, the, you know, processes and procedures the exact same way that they do them. And so one of the things that I have to learn to teach the people on our team, the managers and leaders is this, that we need to default our leadership style, our management style using the word grace, right? So again, if we, if we have the alignment around the, the vision, the mission, the values, the goals that we have for that particular role, we then have to allow them to use their gifts, their abilities to execute in the way they feel best or the way that they see best using their talents, right? Their talents should not be the same talents that we have, right? A, a good team is going to be a diverse team, diverse in lots of ways, but particularly when it comes to skills and abilities, right? We need that diversity. We need someone to who is strong where we are weak and vice versa. So I, I really believe that the most important lesson for new leaders to learn is that you've got to learn to lead and manage yourself well. Because if you think about it, one of the complaints that so many new managers or leaders bring or have is that the person doesn't do the things they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do them. In other words, they don't live up to those expectations. And I often say, well, let's look at you. Let, let's do a self-evaluation first. Before we start critiquing them, how often do we not live up to the word we give ourselves, right? And so for me as a leader, that helps me remember to show grace to other people because it's almost daily, Eric, that I make a commitment to myself or I say to myself, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, and I don't do it. And the part of this that that I think the tangible tactical, tactical thing here is that we judge other people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. So, oh, I intended to do that thing. I didn't do it because X, Y, or Z came up. Therefore, it's okay. But when we see them do the same thing, right, we judge them on did they do it or did they not do it? And so we're judging them based on their actions, but we're not holding ourselves to that same measuring stick, to that same standard. Oh, <laughs> that is gold. That is fantastic. And I, I love the idea of grace and, and extending a hand out you know, or a hand up to folks. And I love the distinction between how you judge other people versus you judge yourself. And, you know, I think giving people, you know, a, a bit of um, benefit of the doubt, you know, it's like, look, our corporate life, company life is fast paced. It's chaotic. Lots of things come up and people have things going on outside their, their work lives as well. So their mind is full of stuff and things fall through the cracks. And so I think if you give people grace and then have a really candid, honest, straightforward conversation about what happened and why and how can we make it better next time rather than just smacking somebody for, for you know, the binary, yes, you did it, no, you didn't. Yeah, I just love that. I love that, that concept. Yeah, thank you. I, I would say one other thing that I learned from a good friend of mine who is the CEO of a company, they have about 800 employees, and he uses this phrase, when furious, get curious. So in other words, when someone does something and you're like, how in the world could they be so stupid? Like you're thinking these things in your head, like what are they thinking? What were they doing? When furious, get curious. Because to your point, Eric, there's often way more to the story than what we see you know, with our eyes or here with our ears. There's often so many other things taking place. And so as leaders and managers, I think it's so important to have that grace for the other people, 
to also, when we do get frustrated, when we get quote unquote furious, to turn that furious into curious and explore what's taking place. Oh, I'm going to write that down. When furious, get curious. And uh, Jen, this is a note for you. Please put that in the show notes. So that is, that is fantastic. I love that. All right. Good stuff. You know, this reminds me a little bit of Crucial Conversations. Have you read Crucial Conversations or gone through the course? We have. We did it as a team probably maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. I thought I heard echoes of that when you were talking about the story, you know, the things that we tell ourselves in our heads. So that is, that is a really good reminder for folks. And by the way, if you haven't read Crucial Conversations or had a chance to go through the course, highly recommend. I taught it for years I've read the book several times and I'm still learning to, to, to embed all the lessons that are, that are packed in there. So good stuff. All right. Well, let's move on. How do you deal with people who don't fit the company culture? Yeah, I, I love this question. And here's why, Eric, because for the first probably half of my journey with my current agency, current business, so probably six or seven years, I didn't really believe in culture. Now, I know that that sounds like, how do you not believe in culture? Well, you see, I grew up kind of in that era where culture became a popular topic in business circles. It became the thing talked about in you know the covers of magazines. Google always won best culture. And you know what they showcased were the, the ping pong tables and the restaurants in the place and the napping pods and all these other things that there was no way a little company like mine could ever do. So I dismiss culture as just this thing that, you know, one day at some point we'll get around to culture. And what I've learned since then is number one, every organization has a culture. And the difference is whether you are intentional about creating the culture that you want, or are you unintentional and just allowing the culture to exist in whatever form or shape that it exists in. So for me, it was number one, coming to the realization that culture does matter. And if I'm jump forward just a little bit, so I, I begin intentionally studying culture and trying to understand what makes a great culture. Fast forward to when the pandemic hit. So that was March of 2020. I was on an airplane. I was flying from here to California. I happened to be in the air somewhere between Texas, which was where my connecting flight was, and Los Angeles, California. And during the midst of that flight, the pilot, the captain of the plane comes on the intercom and makes an announcement that the governor of California had just shut down the state. So I think California may have been the first. I don't know if New York or California was first, but it was one of the very first states to shut down. So here I am flying out for some business meetings. While I'm in the air, California gets shut down. And so what I knew was going to happen as a result of that is obviously, you know, things were unfolding and it was probably going to spread across the country and other states were going to get shut down. And as an organization, we work with clients across the United States. And so in the back of my head, I'm wondering, like, what is this going to mean for us? Like, we serve business owners. We serve businesses. And in those early days, no one really knew, right, what was going to take place and what the implications for business was going to be. Like, were all these businesses going to have to file bankruptcy because they had to shut their doors? Like, what, what was going to take place? So in the airplane, I drafted this email to my team back in Louisiana. 
And the email basically just said, look, I don't understand what's going on, nor do you. Like, we, we don't know what's going to happen for this. But here's what we do know. We do know that change is rapidly coming for our clients. We do know that there's a lot of uncertainty amongst our clients. But what we also know is that we have a, a fairly good-sized platform. So in other words, we have a lot of followers on Facebook and on Instagram. And so let's leverage our platforms and let's give our clients a voice during this time. And so I didn't give any directives other than let's give our clients a voice during this time to talk about their businesses, to talk about how they've adapted, what are they doing differently, all of those things. Within six weeks, Eric, our team interviewed 63 of our clients and partners live on Facebook, live on Instagram to help them spread their message. Now, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but here's here's why that's so important. Because there was no strategy in the world for any business that could have predicted what was going to happen going into the pandemic. So you could have the best strategy in the world, developed by the, the highest paid consultants in the world. When the pandemic hit, when all of the businesses had to shut down, the states got locked down, right? There was no strategy in place that could have pre- predicted that and been prepared for that. However, you could have a culture that lives out certain core values and everyone's got different core values, but they live those out so that when the world changes overnight, the culture takes charge. And that's why I love the Drucker quote, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So tying that into how we started this conversation, which is, you know, how do you deal with people who don't fit that culture? So you've, you've got this culture of a company that wants to help and serve its clients Grace is involved with all of that. So what do you do with folks who don't fit that? The beautiful thing that I've learned about the culture, Eric, is that the culture is self-selecting. So in other words, when someone comes into the culture, yes, we want to accept, we want everyone to feel welcome, we want everyone to feel a part, but we live out those core values and our team is passionate about living out those core values. And there are simply some people who despite them saying maybe an interview process and despite them demonstrating ways that they may live out those core values, they simply don't truly believe in those core values. In other words, they're not a part of their DNA. So what we find is that the culture helps weed those people out. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes make a hiring mistake, right? And bring someone in who doesn't fit the culture, who doesn't align with the core values, but the culture has a way of removing those people. In other words, they realize once they're here that they're not a fit for the culture that we have in place. And the most beautiful thing about that, Eric, is this, that when that happens, when someone comes to that realization that they don't really fit the culture, the conversation to part ways is often a very beautiful conversation. It's not this hostile conversation because at the end of the day, what we want most for every single person who comes here is for them to leave better than when they got here. And so for us, that is what I've discovered is that the culture does the work for you, right? We don't have to, we want people to live up to the standards. We have very high standards. Our values require very high standards. And some people are unwilling to do what's necessary to live those values out. And that's okay, right? That doesn't make them a bad person. That just means culturally, they're not a fit. And the beautiful thing about it is the culture helps them realize that they're fit or they're not a fit. I love how you said the culture 
I'm going to I'm going to probably hash this up, but the the culture basically helps helps people decide for themselves whether they want they belong there. Yeah. And that's that's really cool. I like that. All right. Well, Wayne, my last question for you is also related to culture, and it is how do you fix a company culture that isn't in line with the company's offerings? Maybe tell the story that goes with that question. Yeah, so I think so often we don't align our culture and our values with the product offerings that we have. So, you know, let's let's use the hotel industry as an example. In the hotel industry, you have hotels that you can book a room for sub $100 a night. You have other hotels that are going to be 500 plus a night. And so they have similar values probably in those organizations, right? They provide a safe place for people to sleep at night. They believe in customer service of some level or some sort. But if we are aligning aligning clients or prospective clients' expectations around our values and around the culture, and then our product offerings don't match that, then we, at the end of the day, that is a marketing mistake, right? So it goes from a culture and product alignment mistake to a marketing mistake. We have positioned ourselves in the minds of people at one level, but our product or service offering is at a completely different level. And often case, that is much lower. And so that alignment, I see this happen a lot for entrepreneurs, is they don't want to call their baby ugly, right? We want to believe that our business is great. Everything we do is wonderful. We provide phenomenal service. And sometimes that simply isn't the case. Now, if we jump all the way back into like taking that question all the way back into leading or managing a team, the same thing applies there, right? Our vision may say we are X, Y, and Z, right? It may, it may have these really high standards. And so the question I often ask is, what am I doing to live up to those standards? How am I ensuring that my words and my actions align with those standards, align with that vision that we have set for the department, for the company, or for the organization? And again, I think that is a very self-reflective question first before we bring that to the team, before we begin pushing that down into the organization or to those we lead. It has to start with us and you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror with an honest perspective, which final, final concluding thought on that is this. That is why I'm a huge believer in having a coach, having a mentor, having someone who can see the things that you cannot see. So we all have blind spots. There's this beautiful thing called the Johari window. You can Google it and look it up. But there are things that are unconscious to me, in other words, I can't see them, that are conscious to other people. And we need the people in our lives who can see those things, who can help us work on our blind spots, because it's those things, those invisible things that prevent us from becoming the leaders and the managers that we really want to become. I love it. I haven't thought of the Johari window in quite a while, so that's a good reminder. I had a participant in one of my management development classes uh, speak up in a room full of 30 people. So this is a packed room. And they said, as a manager, you need a therapist. <laughs> like, we all have our stuff. And she didn't use the word stuff. But we all have our stuff. And if you don't deal with it, then you're not going to be any good to your team. 
So deal with your stuff. And so having a therapist, having a coach, having a mentor, very, very useful. I am surrounded by people smarter than me in my business. This is not Eric on a pillar. You know, this is, this is Eric surrounded by lots of people smarter than me in different things. And together we make Gerard Training Solutions run. So, and yes, there is a therapist in there. <laughs> yeah. I love it and, and completely agree. You know, that, that old adage, when you find that you're the smartest person in the room, it's time to find another room. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I've, I've seen that happen in Silicon Valley over and over and over again. Hmm. Well, Wayne, let's, let's talk about you for a sec. Tell us about Ugly Mug Marketing and start with how the company got its name. Absolutely. So the name Ugly Mug Marketing comes from a quote by David Ogilvy. So David Ogilvy was the co-founder of Ogilvy and Mather. At one point, they were the largest ad agency in the world. Uh, they're still in the top 10. But David Ogilvy had this quote within his office, which was this, I would rather you show me an ad that's ugly and effective over one that's beautiful but isn't. And so for us at Ugly Mug Marketing, that is our North Star. You know, if you're not familiar with the marketing or the advertising world, one of the things that drives so much of what takes place in that industry or, or the industry that we're in is this desire to win awards. You know, most creative ad, most beautiful website, most beautiful this, best radio spot. And if we're not careful, it's easy to get distracted by doing things that are beautiful for the sake of doing things that are beautiful. And that's where the name Ugly Mug comes from. And, um, you know, the, the simple way, as cliche as this is going to sound, I like to say we are a results-based marketing agency. We are focused on what matters most to our clients. And most of the time, that is more revenue, more profit for them. Fantastic. I love it. Ugly but effective. Right on. Well, Wayne, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. How can people find you? The simplest place, Eric, is our website, and that's just uglymugmarketing.com. All of our social media, phone numbers, emails, all that stuff is right there in one spot. Okay, uglymugmedia.com. Well, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Watch for my book coming September 20th. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at gerardtrainingsolutions.com.